We'll be studying a few different verses this evening. I'd like you to start out in Genesis chapter 12, and then we'll spend the majority of our time in Romans 11. Um, this evening, the theme, the title is, is The Chosen for the Chosen. And if you're in Christ Jesus today, if you believed in Him, on Him as Lord, you're, you're chosen by Him. You've been elected by Him. You've been called by Him to follow Him. Yet there is another chosen that I want you to see in the Word of God tonight. If you haven't yet figured out what the Bible says about the nation of Israel, you should investigate, you should study, you should, you should read, you should look into God's Word. And I don't just mean look up what other people have to say about it. Now, I realize there's so much available to us. You can look up what other people say, and that's, but that shouldn't be the foundation of, of what you know is in the Word of God. You've got to have your faith where it should be. So I encourage you, if you don't know what you believe about Israel and what you believe about them and, and the end times, then get into God's word and investigate for yourself. He will lead you. He will guide you. Don't take my word for it without studying. Don't take anybody's word for it without studying the Bible. This is what people often do today. They find somebody that they agree with on lots of stuff. Isn't that how we pick our teachers if we agree with them? You said, yes, that's the way we usually pick them. They're our favorites. We agree with them. And then if there's something we're not sure about, we just, instead of studying to show ourselves approved, sometimes we can just say, oh, what do they say about this? Well, that's what I think about it also. That's not what the Word of God says we should do. We should be noble-minded. We should check to see if these things are so. The Spirit will lead you. He'll reveal His Word to you. It's right here for you to know and for you to see. And for hundreds, even thousands of years, the church didn't know any better. And I say that because they couldn't read. They didn't have access to the Word of God, and on top of that, they were illiterate. So they were just stuck with, listen to this, whatever the so-called leaders told them. And they, they believed that because that's all that they knew. And now today, even though most of us can read, there's a different kind of illiteracy that we can fall into. And that's just believing what people tell you. Even if it's a good teacher, isn't it supposed to be your faith in God's word? Isn't it supposed to be personal? We say that over and over again. Well, then investigate, find out. I'm confident. I know, actually, that the Holy Spirit will lead you in the truth. The nation of Israel has been pulled into war once again. And this war is the worst in, in one way at least since any war that Israel's been in since it was reestablished in, in May of 1948. And day by day and even hour by hour, we're hearing about how this war is unfolding. They've been provoked into war by terrorists, by kidnappers, by torturers, by, by rapists. And this war, the reason I say it's been worse for Israel than any other war isn't because there have been more Israelis that have lost their lives. In the Six-Day War in 1967, there weren't that many, many Israeli deaths. But then in 1973, at Yom Kippur, over 2,000 Israelis died there. And at this point, I think it's about 1,400 Israelis lost their lives in this war. But the reason I say that it's worse in a way is because this time, children, women, the elderly, and even babies were targeted. 
And so now Israel is looking to bring those terrorists to justice. They're looking for the release of hostages. And unlike their enemies, they've, they've warned civilians um, to take shelter, to get out of the Gaza Strip. And so sometimes a map helps me. I know you either are a lover of maps or a person who hate, hates maps, but I need to see it sometimes. So Gaza, the Gaza Strip that you've been hearing about so much in the news, if you've been paying attention, is, is that piece right there along the coast. Um, what's defined as the West Bank and the terrorists really believe Hamas, they don't just want that piece of land. They want more land. In fact, if they had it their way, they would say the same thing as Iran, that they would like to wipe Israel completely off the map and just take all the land from Israel. To the north, you've been hearing more about Hezbollah, and that's where Lebanon and Syria border um, Israel. Just to get a, a picture of, of what it is like and and what we see there. Now, the Gaza Strip was given back in 2005, I believe it was, for the, the people, the Palestinians, to have that land. And you might hear, especially if you're listening to a lot of different opinions, what's unjust about what, what Israel is doing at this point? Well, what's the complaint? Well, Israel understands that their borders are important, and they can't just let anybody into their country because the Palestinians, many of them, especially those that are terrorists that live in Gaza, they want to destroy Israel, and they share this border with them. So the complaint is, you won't trade with us, you, you've blocked us off, but you see, like, from the American mentality, we've started to believe sometimes, like, we don't really need to know who's in our country. We don't really need to know if they're dangerous or not. Israel doesn't think that way. The nation of Israel says, we want to know who's in our country, so they block that border. Maybe you've seen recently, too, that now Egypt, which is also predominant. Muslim has opened up their border so that some aid can get into the Palestinian people. But to make it clear, the nation of Israel, the government of Israel, is, is looking for those who have committed these, these crimes against their people. And they're handling it so much differently than the terrorists. They're, you've, you've seen it, dropping leaflets, telling them who are caught in the middle to leave. Um, they're not targeting hospitals. That's what their enemies do. They use civilians as human shields. And some have argued, and you'll see this escalate now in the coming days and weeks, that there should now be peace and that Israel no longer has a right to seek out those who have caused this terror, that they don't have a right to seek justice, to, to punish those who have murdered and abducted their people. And you'll hear about de-escalation without discipline without punishment, without consequences. And to make it clear, this is not personal vengeance. And I get personal vengeance tangled up with law and order sometimes. Do you get like that? You feel like you're the law sometimes. Like, I'll pay him back. You guys are not like me then. I feel inside me like I'm going to pay him. But God has established governments on the earth for justice, right? So that those governments can seek out justice and give consequences and even punishment to those who have committed terrible crimes. So just as the United States, our country, defended itself after the terrorist attacks at 9-11, we sought, we were looking for those who were responsible for those attacks, very strategic attacks against terrorists. So is Israel now attempting to track down 
and is tracking down members of Hamas. So pray for President Netanyahu and even the opposing party in Israel now that they've united behind the cause of defeating Hamas. They need wisdom from the Lord. They don't know the Lord. They don't know Jesus. But he can still give them wisdom, where to go, how far to take this. Would it be reasonable? Is it reasonable for Israel to defeat Hamas? Certainly it is. So now, do I support Israel only because their enemies are barbaric? Do you support Israel only because they've been provoked or pulled into war? Is that the reason behind our support of the nation of Israel? Are we pro-Israel because they have displayed a level of civility that Hamas hasn't? You've even heard it said by those who usually don't know what they're talking about, that Israel has the high moral ground, that, 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 that they're seeking justice. They don't want innocent people to be killed. That, that's not their desire, unlike their enemies. There's more to it than the support of Israel because their enemies are barbaric. This is what God Almighty said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there are two sides, not according to me or you, but according to God here. And we want to be on the side of blessing. First of all, I say to you, bless and be blessed. Bless the people of God. And therefore, look at what your Bible says, receive a blessing from the Lord. And as a church, as this body here, Calvary Chapel of the Foothills, we've consistently given funds to Israel for as long as I can remember, which is a pretty long, is the gift of the gospel. That's the best thing we can give them. So we give it to the church in Israel, a couple different organizations. As a church, we've publicly, if you've been paying attention and praying with us, we've publicly, right here, prayed for the peace of Jerusalem for years and years. That's not just because it's our opinion. It's because it's what the Lord directs us to do in his word. Because we want the blessing of God and we want to recognize that God used the nation of Israel to bring us Jesus. And truly we have been blessed. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 if you want to turn forward, just four books in your Bible. Deuteronomy 7, 6. See it for yourself. For you are a holy people to the Lord for your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. So the Jews are the chosen people of God. Now, that doesn't mean that the church isn't chosen. This is where some struggle. It, can't God make two choices? He certainly can. The word clearly teaches that God has chosen Israel. He hasn't unchosen or deselected Israel. He hasn't gone back on his choice of them as people. Does it not say that he has not abandoned Israel? Listen to this from Romans 11.1. 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? The answer is right there. Certainly not. So it seems 
now that Hamas and the supporting terrorist nations, we'll call them, their desire, and you probably saw it coming from a long ways away, their desire is to make Israel look like the monster of the Middle East, isn't it? There's a lot of lies being sown, and what they want is a long, drawn-out ground war. The so-called president of Iran said, I kiss the hands that have done these deeds. Previously, he said, I want to wipe Israel off the map, just completely gone. So what good would a long ground war do? Um, Of course, they want to kill as many Israelis as possible, but don't think for a second that they care about the Palestinian people because every single Palestinian that they can use will simply be a wedge to paint Israel as a monster, and you're going to see the trickle. At first, it starts with just a few extremists, doesn't it? We call them extremists, at least we do anyways. Like, there's, just, there's a couple people, and I don't even like to say their names because I don't want to give them credit. There's a couple people, and they're in Congress, and they're saying, what in the world? Like, you're, they're blaming this on the nation of Israel when they've been provoked, when they've been accosted, when they've been abused. But more and more of that will begin, begin to blame the Jewish people for something that they didn't start, right? So you and I must know where we stand and why we stand where we stand. We must know why we believe what we believe so that we don't become these judges from afar and we, just, we judge based on these images that we see in the media. Maybe you've turned forward to Deuteronomy If you did so, then go back to Genesis 17 this time. What does the word say? Here it is, 17.7 of Genesis. And look at the nature of this promise. Look at the nature of this covenant. Look at the nature of this agreement. So many people, they want to define the parameters or the paradigm of the covenant. But look at what God says about the covenant that he has established with the nation of Israel. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I give to you your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So secondly, not only do we want to bless the nation of Israel and therefore be blessed by God, but secondly, we want to understand this everlasting covenant. I didn't make that name up. God did right here in his word. I've made a promise to you, Israel, and this is your everlasting possession. Now, if you and I start to call this word everlasting into question, then that means maybe your eternity with the Lord isn't forever. Maybe that means that Heaven really isn't going to carry us on. Everlasting, right? The everlasting gospel, the everlasting possession, the everlasting covenant that God has made with his people. And it's even in regards to the land that he gave to them. He said, yeah, you're a stranger at first, but then I gave it into your hand. Is that not what the word of God says? Now, how about the idea that God has revoked Israel's covenant because most Jews rejected Jesus? And there's a lot of names we could put on this, and I won't get into the terminology. If you want to get into it, study it, see what it's about. But this idea that since most Jewish people have not recognized Jesus as the Messiah, that they have, God has now revoked Israel's covenant, 
and, and given it to somebody else. I don't see that here at all in the word of God. I see an everlasting covenant. I see an eternal possession given to them. Do the promise of, promises of the Lord still stand even though Israel as a whole and even by and large has not received Jesus as the Christ? Yes, they do still stand. In fact, could you use the word faithful to describe the nation of Israel that you read about in the Old Testament? Is that the adjective that you would use? Well, these people are very faithful. And there were times when they were faithful. But you know what's a lot better adjective? Stiff-necked, stubborn. So they've been stubborn towards the Lord for a long time, even back and forth. You, you know your history. I hope you do. Worshiping idols. And the Lord says, yeah, they'll be disciplined, but you're my people. Listen to this. If you want to go back to Deuteronomy, I hope you do. Chapter 7, verse 7. So let's understand this everlasting covenant. Here it says in 7.7, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. Right there, the Lord is saying to them, you were not the most fantastic people that I could pick. You didn't get chosen on your merit or on your power or on your greatness of number. You got chosen because I'm a God of love and I'm going to keep my promise to you. So what's the basis of this covenant? The character of God himself. Now, rejecting Jesus is a big deal, a huge deal. There's nothing more important than receiving Jesus. But Israel's rejection is not a surprise to God. He's sovereign. Jesus knew that he would be rejected by his own. And there is a remnant of believers in the Lord Jesus in the land, and isn't that often the way God has dealt with Israel? There's just a remnant. There are just a few that he uses to reestablish, to breathe his life through, to, to say, look, there are some who are faithful. Even though the masses are going one direction, there are those who, who are following, who understand, who believe. Now I invite you to go to Romans eleven sixteen because most of us are Gentile, Gentiles, Gentile believers. And so this passage is written by Paul to help us understand the first fruit, the nation of Israel, the church, Romans eleven sixteen. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So look, the receptive remain. Those who believe remain connected to the trunk, connected to Christ, connected to that original lump of dough. There's a couple analogies happening here. But then look, some branches are broken off. Those are the Christ-rejecting Jews. So I look for you and for me, third point, be grafted to Christ because we're right there. 
We're the wild branches. Isn't that a good description of you? That represents most of us. It's teaching that believing Gentiles are joined with Jesus and we become partakers of the root, the root stalk, the trunk of the tree where all of the holiness comes from, Jesus himself. And we can know the fatness. That's a good term in this case, right? The, 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 a lot of mercy, abundant mercy, never-ending love. So most of us are those previously wild branches that have been grafted in and now connected to Christ. That's a great thing that the Lord has said, come, you were wild before, believe upon me, abide in me, I'll graft you in to the root, to the trunk. Verse 19, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. There's some arrogance here, pay attention to it. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So the third point that I tried to make, even though it was really quickly, is be grafted to Christ. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be connected to the Holy One. But now, fourth point, don't be haughty towards Israel. Don't be full of pride and say, I've been grafted in and you were broken off. The Bible is warning us right here. It's warning the church. Don't think you're all that. Don't think out with the old, in with the new. I'm the new, you're the old, forget you. That's the kind of pride and arrogance that the word of God is warning us about. Be thankful that you've been grafted to Christ. But don't be arrogant against the nation of Israel because many of them have been in unbelief, right? Arrogant about being saved. We're not supposed to boast in ourselves. Boasting in self is supposed to be excluded. Don't be haughty towards Israel. That's what you see in some people today in the church. Oh, we're, we're the ones. Like it takes something away from us if the Lord chose Israel. No, it doesn't. It doesn't take anything from us. Oh, I, I've been grafted in. Yes, you have. But don't boast against those who have been removed. That's the warning that I get from the word. Don't boast against Israel and say, oh, I, I've, I've taken your place. 23, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. There it is right there, isn't it? For if you were cut out and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? It's harder to graft a branch. I've only done it once. It's hard to graft anyways for me. It's not, they're not the same. But if it's the same type of tree, just like the Bible says here, can't that be grafted in? So I'm looking at this last point. Rejoice for the regrafting. We're taught the reasoning behind how Israel has a promised future. God has used them greatly to bring us the Messiah, to bring us his word. And he will use them in a mighty and effective way in the future. Cut off for unbelief, but regrafted into the tree of Christ. If a mere person can graft a branch onto a tree, can't God reconnect, and he says here that he will, those who need to be brought back into right relationship. 
That's exactly what will happen. Now look at verse 25, Romans eleven twenty-five. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Like, don't think that you know it all. There's a mystery here about the disconnect because of unbelief and then the regrafting. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Another admonishment towards pride. Don't think that you know what's going on when you don't. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. That God has allowed, this is what it's saying, a blindness to come over most of the Jewish people so they don't see their Savior. Happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. I rejoice for the regret to think of the Jewish people coming and receiving their Messiah, their Jesus. What gladness that brings to my heart because it's, it's the plan of God. He's told us. He's given us his word, the prophetic word here. Now, when it says all of Israel will be saved, it's not teaching that they're saved because of their nationality. There's only one way to be saved, by grace through faith. But saying here that instead of as a whole the nation of Israel rejecting Jesus as Messiah, as a whole, even the leadership, even the government of Israel saying we accept. It's not necessarily you know, every single individual, although you could interpret it that way, that at this time couldn't God save every single Israeli at that time? He certainly could. Israel was reestablished 75 years ago now. And that was a miracle in itself. And now it's difficult to deny that the Lord has his hand on the people of Israel in a very unique way. Was it the dispensationalist Christians that caused the nation to come back into the land again? Did, did, did Christians manipulate that into happening? Was that a work of people? Or was that a work of God? It was a work of God. It's amazing, supernatural. It's the renewal of the Lord, not the renewal of man. Today, there is that blindness in part on the spiritual eyes of Israel until this predetermined number, and only the Lord knows that number, of Gentiles come in and are saved. And then at that point, the, Israel of nation, the nation of Israel will be enlightened, and they will see Jesus for who he is sent from heaven to live and to die and to rise again. So this connects with the ministry of the 144,000 in, in the book of, of Revelation, 12,000 from each tribe. This, if I had to have a favorite, uh, is my favorite prophecy of, of Israel returning to the Lord and, and recognizing who their anointed one, who their Messiah is. And it's in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Prophetic regarding Israel. It's clear, the house of David. Zechariah 12.10 And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him 
as one who mourns for his only son. And grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Them realizing, look, look at what our ancestors did. We were looking for the Messiah. We missed him. This is what the word says about the restoration of the people of Israel. What a wonderful day that will be. Even though they'll, they'll grieve. They'll say, what have we done? They'll come and they'll have the spirit of grace and supplication. It's a part of prophecy. It's a part of God's promise. Isaiah 53, well known by so many, is a prophecy. It's looking forward, the time it was written, to what Jesus did to pay for our sins. Our sins have us messed up. They have us confused. They have us chasing all sorts of emptiness. They have us condemned. And Isaiah 53, one of the most powerful chapters in the Old Testament, speaking forward about what Jesus will do, down to the detail. But there's something that is very arresting about Isaiah 53, if you pay attention, that it's written in the past tense. It's not risen, written in the future tense. And I believe it's because it's Israel looking back and saying, look, look at what's happened. Surely he has bore our griefs. He's already taken those griefs and our sorrows. Isaiah 53, chapter 4. He has borne our griefs and has carried, there it is again, past tense, our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. The people of God recognizing, look, we esteemed him stricken. That's the, he laid down his life for us. He said it is finished. But he was wounded, once again, past tense, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Jesus died for the sins of the world. But there will come a day when Israel will look back and say, look, we bruised him. He was wounded for us. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Seeing, look, this isn't just for us. This is for that he would bless all the nations of the, of the world through us. And now all the iniquity from the whole world has been laid on Jesus so that he could pay the price for that. So in the coming days, I, I, I pray and I hope that it's not a long, long war. And I pray and I hope that other nations don't get involved, that, that Iran's not stepping in and then now the United States isn't stepping, it doesn't escalate. It could, we're talking about de-escalation, it could escalate, right? That's for sure. At the same time, it's, it's not like this blank check of like, no matter what Israel does, it's a good thing. But I want you to know where you stand and where we're going. There's been a lot of questions, and questions are good if they cause you to get to the truth. People saying, well, what has to happen before Jesus can return for us? Nothing has to happen before Jesus can return for us. Even, even the nation of Israel didn't necessarily have to be restored to its land for Jesus to return. Now, Israel re being returned to the land 75 years ago is an indicator that, Lord, now it's making sense to us what you've said about the Jewish people in the end times, right? Now we understand and we see that it's those birth pangs and it's getting closer to birth, but nothing else needs to take place 
if you'll study the prophetic, and are you studying it with me? I hope you are, for Jesus to return. He designed his word that way in all of his infinite wisdom so that you and I aren't sitting here checking boxes and charting out for the Lord. Okay, Lord, you're a little behind schedule. No, instead, he says to us, these are the signs of the time. This is what it's gonna be like. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. And understand this completely. What's happening right now through Hamas is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's a replacement for the one true God. It's a replacement for Jesus. Islam has been that from the beginning. 1,500 years ago, it started that way. Oh, in, instead of that, we've got a more, more pure truth than you had before. So don't be duped, certainly not by the geopolitical developments that you see in the news, but also understand that the Lord knows he's given us these prophetic words to build our faith. Lord, I'm thankful to you because I'm a person who waffles a lot. I'm thankful that you gave me your, your specific word, your powerful word with, with so much in it that if we're willing to see it, this can't be denied. Lord, help us to, to come and to call upon you and to have an expectancy. Lord, I see that your church overall isn't very expectant. And we should be, Lord. We, re, we ask you for forgiveness. If we've been living like you're not gonna come back that's not how you want us living, Lord. I, I pray that the events and, and how they connect to your word would stir us up, would make us eager to, to serve you with all of our hearts. Lord, that the house would be clean when you come home, I'm not full of filth. That you would find us loving you and worshiping you and making disciples, Lord, of even our enemies. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.